0: Apartment or is that oh also somebody's using a blender out there. <laughs> so there's like a dance party happening upstairs and a blender in the hallway. That's
1: cool. Wait, in the hallway.
0: Like in the it's like right. The kitchen, like the corner of the kitchen mm-hmm. where the hallway is, is also where the blender is. Gotcha. What else have you watched during quarantine besides our movies?
1: The shutter brought back creep show as a series, you watch that. There's an, another series called Channel Zero on that. We watched that. Bunch of RuPaul's Drag Race. Uh, practical jokers um what else it's a bunch of nick cage movies sure the classics yeah. yeah that's great that's about it i think there's probably more but whatever oh gravity falls
0: oh i uh, yeah. my favorite we've been watching a lot of simpsons over here mm. oh <laughs> you nailed it oh you nailed homie.
1: it <laughs> um what are some other good ones
0: ha <laughs> ha Yep, also very good. Eat my uh, shorts. Is yeah, why.
1: I caramba. Don't have a cow, yeah. dude. Yeah, um, I think we hit all the
0: big ones. Yeah, I think
1: that's it. The rest are going to be pretty specific. I uh, guess I could do racist. Maggie's pacifier noise. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Pretty gross. Pretty <laughs> gross Maggie. sound to make. Yeah, it was all right. Hey uh, did, hated, uh, you know, Flanders. <laughs> yeah, I got it. I, I don't know his specific one. 1980. What is it? The Simpsons. What is this? 1987. Uh, uh, you know what
0: else happened in yeah, 1987? <laughs> yes. Oh wait, should we? Should we oh, introduce the podcast? the podcast?
1: Yeah, you can. We okay. never do
0: that. Uh, hello, uh, my name is Nicole,
1: and my name is Vesh,
0: uh, and together, this is our podcast, Real, Real big, big Fix. fix. Normally, we say it together, but the distance makes it hard. It's tough to time things out on a Zoom meeting. I think we did it. I think we did did it it about as well as we can, given the constraints. Uh, And this is a podcast podcast. where we, it's a movie podcast. It's the world's first movie podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's where we take movies that are maybe not bad, sometimes they're bad, uh, but movies that don't work 100%, and we Mm -hmm. fix them. Mm -hmm. We fix them from a writing perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, And this week, we have picked. 1987's ishtar
1: ishtar
0: directed and written by elaine may May. and i I am the first thing i'm going to say about this Mm. 1987's ishtar so we picked this one because it's supposed to be like a legendary bad movie like this is on everybody's like top 10 worst movie lists um and i watched it and Mm -hmm. i didn't think it was that bad no i think there's definitely stuff to fix but when i when i think of like a legendary bomb i was like this was fine
1: yeah, I, uh, uh, my entryway to it, as I said to you over text, was through. I'm I'm assuming Animaniacs. It might have been His Historia or something like that. But like the mm-hmm. '90s cartoon shows, it was a safe target. And then also in one of my favorite movies of all time, Freaked, there's a there's a big old bloody brawl, and there's a guy uh, watching it goes, "I haven't seen a stampede this bad since the opening night of Ishtar. Um <laughs> and. I think it might be obviously some, you know, distance. There's, uh, we, 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 neither of us were alive in 1987. So we don't know what the climate was like in terms of movie going experiences. But yeah, it's, there might be some just like bandwagon, punching up or punching down sorry uh, or punching at <laughs> uh, this movie where it's like it becomes the thing honestly it's, it's 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 a little
0: bit of a nickelback
1: situation yes i was gonna say what's his name guy fieri uh sure uh and again i've got a you know uh, a little bit of imp- at least within our communities a little bit of impractical joker syndrome yeah it's, yeah, like, yeah it's a perfectly harmless thing but for some reason everybody's jumping down its throat yeah um, um so
0: let's i guess first the other thing that's cool about this movie is there's like a lot of weird like the wikipedia is very interesting and oh, like hearing yeah. about like why it was like a legendary production disaster mm-hmm. to me is more interesting than the failures of the movie so we'll talk about that a little bit later uh, yeah I know. i want to i want to start off by talking about uh, i don't even know where to start well let's start by talking about things that i liked in the movie great the first thing that i liked Is honestly, I don't know how to quite describe this, but I have been. I think a thing that Fesh, you probably know about me by Mm -hmm. now, is like I love people who are trying so hard to become the person that they want to be. Like I listen to a lot of podcasts where the podcasts are not good, but Mm -hmm. I'm interested (laughs) in the person hosting the podcast trying to be a podcast host.
1: Thank you for plugging, which is a little bit of what we're doing. My other podcast. Trust
0: me, it's all the ones that I listen to Uh are the ones that are like let me tell you seven strategies to succeed at your business. And it's all hosted by people who are like, what is your business? (laughs) Like, I think your business is telling people how to run a bit like that kind of stuff. I love. And one of the genres of that kind of thing that I love, um, especially in like the New York comedy community Mm -hmm. is when you, when you see like, two or three people working together in a sketch group or or improv group or whatever. And all of them individually are bad, but they, (laughs) they have come together and they all think they're great. And it's, and it's like, it's all the work they're making is bad. Clearly the two individuals are not good. So I don't know why they were drawn to each other. It's not a case of like, you know, you're in a sketch class and then like the weirdo in the sketch class sees you getting laughs. So they glom onto you. It's two weirdos who went to each other. Yeah. And, and it's, it's one of those things where it's like, how do you not know that this isn't working? How yeah. have you deluded yourself into exactly. thinking that what you're doing is really good? And I think this movie, maybe better than any other movie I've ever yep. seen, has I depicted only, that phenomenon.
1: I think that's yeah. the only one I can think of.
0: I I can think of some other movies where it's like delusional losers who think they're going to hit the big time, but this is the only one that really captures the sad... essence, yeah. Like the the true essence of what it is. Um, Right, because
1: again, my favorite movie of all time is Bill and Ted, and that's ultimately about that. But
0: Exactly, but it's it's, not...
1: The energy is not there. Yes. Yeah.
0: Totally agree. So I really liked that. And I also... So one of the things... um, Hold on. I want to find the exact quote in the Wikipedia article. Okay. Oh, God, where is it?
1: <laughs>
0: oh, here we go. Okay. So one of the other things that I liked about this movie was the songs. that So, so for those of you who haven't seen Ishtar, it's about these, we start off in New York and it's about these two middle-aged very bad songwriters who are yeah. convinced that they're going to be like the next big thing if they could just get an agent like Simon, you see them writing
1: ooh, yeah the, the next sign you see them Garfunkel. writing their terrible
0: song uh the song that goes um uh wait uh, oh i was just saying it this morning um telling the truth ain't always so easy uh honest and popular don't go hand in hand or something like that and if it's, you're it's this, like, able ter- to
1: play the accordion you won't be asked to be in a rock and roll band
0: Exactly, and it's yeah. it's almost like got a commercial jingle vibe to it. And then after they compose the, you see them composing this terrible song. You see them at the p- that the piano being like, telling the truth ain't always so easy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> telling the truth being be popular, dangerous. being popular. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell yeah, uh and you see them like coming up with these terrible lyrics yeah. like they're genius and they love when they stumble on stuff it sounds like a commercial yeah. jingle and then they're walking out of their writing session they walk past like a like an advertisement for concerts that are coming there's like bruce yeah. springsteen bruce. And Simon and garfunkel and stuff and they Talking walk past, and they're, yeah they're like we're as good as any of these guys the only reason the only thing that um the only difference between us and bruce springsteen and simon and garfunkel is they got an agent we'd be just as big <laughs> as them." and it's like the most delusional it's so funny the best and the so at the end there's a concert where they finally get to play all their songs they're oh, all so bad good. and they're all bad in a really funny way Yeah. and this this quote from the Wikipedia article I really like because uh, Paul Williams was the composer and mm-hmm. he began working on the songs that they would sing and he said the real task was to write songs that were believably bad it yes. was one of the best jobs I've ever had in my life yes. I've never had more fun on the picture but I've never worked harder Yeah. and it's like I think that the songs that the two of them sing are the single best part about the movie oh absolutely it's, it's not like um can i just say not this not like real the, quick can i interrupt yes. real quick to say yes
1: well i'm gonna say two things because the first thing really is important to understand the latter this going back to this essence thing i was joking uh-huh. when i said thanks for the plug for my other podcast but the relationship you did describe is me and jct <laughs> but, maybe less i mean bad weird but you know but... that
0: i'm yeah uh, i'm your number one biggest fan like i you. think the shit that you make is way better than so
1: that goes into the second thing which is i recognize that the songs are bad mm-hmm. but i think they're great <laughs> uh <laughs> and i earnestly the mecca one that was like they're just like a they're looking over at mecca and it's like a bass at the background boom, boom 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 at the very end I was uh-huh. genuinely like, "No, don't fade to another song. I want to hear the rest of this song." And I looked it up <laughs> afterwards and I can't find it anywhere.
0: Oh, I'm I'm sure it exists somewhere. We just somewhere. got like the yeah. got to go to the, like the dark web or something.
1: Yeah. But
0: uh So, yeah. And what I liked about these songs is it's not like the like if The Lonely Island did this movie.
1: Exactly. Or which, the by the way, this is not me shitting
0: on The Lonely Island. Uh-huh. They're also brilliant yes. but it's very different and they would be like comically bad songs these are these are realistically believably bad songs that two people would think are really good but everybody who? else in the room would be like oh my god
1: two people who brand themselves as a songwriting team not singers who still are singing
0: yes <laughs> it's such a weird
1: yes. middle ground and the yes. what they wear in both the first performance we see of them and the last are ridiculous like what is who is this for
0: yeah Especially because they're in Morocco.
1: But I'm saying even before then when they're just like wearing not the bedazzled oh, sure. headbands but regular headbands. And it's just like, yeah. wait, but you're Yeah, Dustin
0: Hoffman is 50s... like dressed like Bruce Springsteen yeah. but doing almost like Simon and Garfunkel but yeah. with a more like corporate doo-wop. twist to it.
1: Yeah, it's... It's
0: very weird. Um, the other thing that I was thinking the entire time I was watching this movie to also compare it to a point of reference I think all of us have is if this movie were made today, it would for sure be Will Ferrell and John C. Riley,
1: Right. Um, which, which I don't
0: actually think would make it better, but that is what would happen. No, I think fall happen in that Lonely
1: it... Island level you're talking about where it's like, nope, you guys are playing cartoony bad where we want believably bad.
0: Yeah, exactly. And part of that is just like sort of style. Like you didn't really see those kind of comedies no, in 1987 not. as much.
1: Absolutely not. This is, it is, there's some Apatow-esque riffing involved in this that mm-hmm. is way ahead of its time in terms of just that montage of them putting the song together like weirdly i do i feel like this is i'm gonna keep hitting this point i guess but like i feel like this is the most representative i've (laughs) been uh in a film i was like whoa yeah (laughs) these two losers who have no business in being in the business who are just gonna keep plugging away yeah and And
0: i also love that they don't learn anything at the end they just sort of get
1: they just find a place where it works yeah and that's all ultimately that's all we're really looking for we don't actually care if we connect or anything we just want the illusion that we have
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 right like so it's... uh was it were there any major things that you liked that we should talk about
1: blind camel
0: blind camel's great there's also a fun fact about the blind camel in Ooh, here okay. hold on this is my favorite fact about it oh no wait
1: dustin hoffman literally wears the shirt i just bought <laughs> <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> yeah, I bought a shirt two days before watching this movie and then I watched the movie and Dustin Hoffman is wearing the shirt. I was like, well, here we go. Like Charles Grodin as well. I think he's very good. But I think that covers pretty much everything that I like, at, like unadorned, like just like, yep, that's good everything else is a little more shades of gray or bad.
0: Okay. Well, I'm sort of paraphrasing it, but yeah. basically, okay, so there's a scene where um that involves a blind camel. Uh, and I guess the producers like went out in Marrakech to look for a for a blue-eyed camel that could believably play a blind camel.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and they found like one. Like
1: the blue eyes would be for like the cataracts or Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. yeah okay. And so they found one the first day. And the guy wanted like kind of a lot of money for it. And they were like, yeah, right. This is Morocco. We haggle. We'll go find a better price somewhere else. So they go and search like all of morocco for another camel what they didn't realize is blue-eyed camels are extremely yeah. rare come on um, so they go out and look for another camel they can't find one anywhere and by the time they go back to the first guy who had a blue-eyed oh, camel no. he this is the best part by the time they go back to the first guy who had a blue-eyed camel he had already eaten it
1: <laughs> <laughs> so let me put this out there too before you get really into the meat of things and actually this yeah. will transition to the first into the camel really meat will, of things really Want to talk about, which is I'm kind of a, 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 a mm, geopolitical dullard. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. I don't know shit about anything, and certainly mm-hmm. not the state of things in 1987. Um, so some of my fixes will be more to my taste to curb that, mm-hmm. uh, not getting rid of any of it, but the scene I really want to talk about is structurally good, but socially bad <laughs> great it is the translation scene where the i guess the australian yes. dude or english dude has to have dustin hoffman translate farsi or something and he's making it up yes. as he goes but because the other, it's also dude...
0: literally a scene in the tv show the it crowd and they oh. do it better oh i didn't know. yeah
1: but yeah because warren Beatty is in the crowd they can just say gibberish back to each other and it works it's like that if you completely remove any xenophobic <laughs> feelings, of, like if this were aliens instead of literally foreign people, like mm-hmm. that'd be one thing. And it is, it works as a, as a scene.
0: Definitely. Or if you make it have more consequences and they, the two of them accidentally start a war or something. Oh, sure. But that would be, I think, too big for this movie. Of so the course. other thing, my big thing with this movie, it felt like watching two different movies. Of course. Yeah. And I think it's because they didn't nail the balance of the stuff that happens in New York versus the stuff that happens in Morocco. Like if this... I'm going to keep comparing this to movies that are made today. I don't necessarily sure. think it would be fair. better Yeah. yeah. Uh, if it were today. It's just as a point of reference, sure. like all of the stuff of them in New York before they go to Morocco would have taken place in five minutes yeah. in a movie that happens today. It's like a good 25, 30 minutes before they get to Morocco. Which
1: include flashbacks in there. So yes. why don't we just start? Go Morocco to and it. Yes. make and then everything flashbacks. flashbacks. Yeah, yeah, yes. spread them throughout. So
0: for for people at home who haven't seen the movie, basically, there's these two loser singer songwriters. They're desperately seeking an agent. They manage to get an agent, and the agent's like, "I got you a gig. You have two options. You can either go to I think Haiti. You can go to a military base in Haiti, or you can mm-hmm. go to one in Morocco. Those are the two gigs I can get you. They're war torn countries. Uh, you know, diplomats and stuff need entertainment." When they get off work for the day, it pays,
1: you know, hundred bucks a night or whatever. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, seventy-five a Uh, a week.
0: That sounds right. It's like a pitifully small amount of number, but you'd be headlining, and so all of that takes. 30 or so minutes when they get to this fictional country of ishtar which is supposed to be right next to morocco they accidentally stumble into like a rebel plot that the cia is sort of aware of and one of them uh, gets secretly drafted by the cia and the other one gets drafted by the communists but Mm -hmm. they're both like idiots and neither of them really knows how to handle the situation and they both fall in love with this strikingly beautiful woman who they both think is a boy. Yeah,
1: that's super When I first meet him. But it's like,
0: she's she's unbelievably beautiful. She's Mm -hmm. also like one of France's most celebrated actresses of all time. It it would be like if, um, it would be like Meryl Streep playing this role.
1: Well, let me say this too about my certain biases that I have. I kind of think everyone in the eighties and before then, up until maybe like the thirties. And in that time I'm like, well you guys are all kind of pieces of shit. <laughs> and you're kind of more sure. fast and loose with like not full on pedophilia, but like, you know, sixteen year olds yeah. are on display. Uh, sure, like, but that uh,
0: that wasn't the issue that I was having.
1: No. <laughs>
0: you're now entering it's into different territory. No,
1: but what I'm talking about is when they're like just this idea, and now this movie was written and directed by a woman, so I don't know, but just this this base reality of, you know, how teenage boys are similar to women in their 20s. Sure. <laughs> and it's like, mm, I don't think that is culturally translated to these days. Like, that is a trope that shows up in multiple things, not just Ishtar. Interesting. And like, uh, in just how each beat of that is the teenage boyness is removed is her flashing one of them. And then the other one, like just full on grabbing her. Yeah, That that fighting. part of the airport
0: where she just pulls up her shirt to reveal yeah. one boob. Yeah. It's
1: like, what What are we, what are we doing? So yeah. I think we could just lose. I think that's one. Oh, I think half. we can lose all that. Yeah. Cause again, I, I think this comes up quite a bit on, on this podcast, but the, uh, the the notion of mistaken identity being enough to be funny, I think, is yeah. way over. Like, it's past yeah. its prime for us. And, it's been and past so its prime just...
0: since the 1700s. Uh,
1: okay. <laughs> uh, but, like... That that's just one element too much. You can still have her be in the movie. You just don't need to be. She can be disguised. It's just they don't have to be confused For sure. by it. So let's
0: let's just start from the beginning because there okay. is another element of this movie that we didn't talk about, which is that the. So after we see all this stuff in New York, then we cut to Ishtar. There is an archaeological group in Ishtar that uncover this map. That is like a sacred map of something that I didn't really understand what it was. It's a map slash, pro- they keep calling it a map. So it's a yeah. map and a prophecy. And the prophecy is that two people will come to Ishtar and like liberate it or something. Yeah. And the two guys who dig up the map are like, it must be us. The viewer at home through dramatic irony should know, uh-oh, it's going to be these two yeah, losers. But then it's also kind of not those two losers. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. They At the end of the movie, they kind of don't fulfill what the prophecy is. So just strictly from a narrative standpoint, if you want to keep all those elements,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I would say that we start kind of like the mummy does. And we start with those archaeologists who find the map. They're like, oh, my God, we found oh, this map. There's if there's a, a way.
1: No, we're starting in sometime B.C. or whatever. Again, I'm bad at history. And sure. Stuff, when they like, make the map. Let's make the map. Let's start there. You got to start an 80s <laughs> comedy in ancient egypt it's always a fun time fine with me and if we can have a little guy stealing the script or from or the the map from a a sarcophagus let's do it
0: (laughs) yeah and then he immediately gets flattened by a boulder because he disrupted the the mummy's grave and then the and then the the map like floats floats away in the wind
1: yep of course Uh because there is wind in the desert let's not forget that
0: yes oh yeah that was like a big plot point where where some guy was like nowhere in the desert somebody told me there's no wind in the desert and then that goes on for some time and then there is a windstorm and, and it's proof like that oh, okay. he was lied
1: to and it's just like that's a little bit too dumb for yeah the beads thing i can buy a little bit but the wind thing
0: yeah so yeah let's start in ancient egypt and but we see I, this
1: now yeah i'm gonna please. jump to the end to say let's really double down on this prophecy stuff only to really sell the bait and switch even harder it'd be like no they're Great. not the dudes right like, oh
0: yeah and then i think at the end the two dudes who are yeah. clearly heroes yeah, need, yeah. <laughs> need to yeah it's harrison in.
1: ford and uh <laughs> Tom yeah, <Sellick>. harrison.
0: Like, <laughs> the pairing we've all been waiting for well, i'm
1: going off for of chip and dale yeah chip was sure. dressed as indiana jones and dale was dressed as magnum pi so that's oh <laughs> yeah yeah I How never that? put that together before that? right
0: now. Okay, yeah. you know what? I rescind my condescending Very, joke thank
1: you. Thank towards
0: you. you. Yeah, so Chippendale Rescue Rangers come in at the end of the movie <laughs> as a bait and switch. Yes. And so it seems like Dustin Hoffman and uh, Warren Beatty are, are the guys. And somehow at the end, they're gonna do, they're gonna be yeah. like the saviors of Ishtar. And then no, wrong, yeah. they end up in jail. And it's these two guys. Although one thing, that I did like in the movie is the reason that they get to, what what was their, do you remember what their name, their group name was? It was their last name. It's like
1: Richards and Duke or whatever, like whatever their character's last names are.
0: Rogers and Clark. The reason that they get to have a big performance at the end is because the two of them have so monumentally fucked up the CIA and Russian intelligence and like the Ishtar revolutionaries missions that in order to keep those two guys from talking, their sleazy agent who booked them the gig originally talks to the CIA agent. And it's like, the only way that we won't go to the press for this is if the CIA produces and promotes a live album from yeah. these two guys. Great. And that's- very great. funny and Keep I think yep. should stay as the credits scene and because uh, it's because even if these two guys are not the heroes that save Ishtar then they still have to not reveal like the the shady shit that the CIA was up to yep and I think that's very funny and then you still get all of those other great song gags
1: mm-hmm. and I think there could be a little more breadcrumbs to if we're going to make them singer songwriters let's have I don't need them to be riffing throughout but it can be mm-hmm. kind of this Better on the rewatch, sort of Forrest Gumping of like, oh, when you hear their songs later, they're clearly inspired by the specific scenes that we saw. And they,
0: I think they sort of tried to do that a little bit and it didn't really work. But I think, I think what they needed to sell that point more was when they get to Ishtar, I think they have to be miserable. And then one of them, probably the Dustin Hoffman character, has to be like, no, this is miserable now, but that's where all good Artists, art comes yeah. from. We have to be looking at this as a place to draw inspiration yeah. from. Like all of Bruce Springsteen's songs came from growing up in a shitty mm-hmm. working class town in New Jersey. And all of our songs are going to come from this weird <laughs> trip to Ishtar. Ishtar yeah. Yep. And so then maybe they're like like I even think that maybe it's it's almost like that like freshman year of art school thing when you're mm. like walking around with a notebook you're like I'm just gonna observe the world around me and maybe one of them well, has a notebook and is just like taking down like conversation he overhears so there's yeah. also songs at the end that are just like straight up a conversation between two people like <laughs> haggling over a fish
1: yeah so that that also reminds me of another I don't know if I have a fix for it yet but maybe we'll come up with but one of my issues not even problem but issues is
0: your ishtar yes, issues yes, yes, i'm gonna yes. keep i'm gonna work on
1: that. <laughs> uh, is there kind of no minutes. reason for them to be a duo they're not 100%. different enough for it to because they also really both matter. play the
0: piano and both sing <laughs> which is which funny, could but... which could be funny if yeah. the if people kept being like why don't you just do solo acts
1: uh, yeah, yeah. well there is a part where is it richards and clark what are their names again
0: rogers and clark
1: where rogers has to uh, do a show alone <laughs> And they go from oh, Rogers and, he... and Clark. Here's Rogers. <laughs> <laughs> Very good.
0: And then he. And that
1: scene's also great. And then he. And like... then he
0: keeps being like, "Call out your favorite Simon and Garfunkel song, and I'll play it." And and Everyone then it doesn't work. And then...
1: it's just the most yeah, boring everyone's... choices.
0: <laughs> Everyone keeps. Play that some more, yeah, yeah. and then Justin Hoffman comes in the back room and he sees what was happening, and he takes a microphone and he walks to the stage, yeah. singing like fine, but yeah. acting like he's like really belting one out. And they have a good gig; they have one good gig.
1: So I would say let's. But they don't play any them, of their songs. No, and let's strengthen their philosophies within our fix. yes make them different
0: so one thing that i will say related to that shoot there was something in the wikipedia i'm not going to quote it directly but basically so warren Beatty produced and starred in this movie as a favor to elaine may Mm because elaine may had done a lot of uncredited rewrites for him and like consults and stuff she also did an uncredited rewrite of tootsie which was dustin hoffman right yeah and so that's how she like both of them were like okay you've done all this work for us you are like a legendary, brilliant comedian, we will do this movie for you. And this was like sort of Warren Beatty's way of, by producing it and starring in it, it was his way of getting the studio to do whatever Elaine May wanted and just kind of let her have full creative control. And she ultimately decided she wanted Warren Beatty to be the sort of nerdy virgin York character to play against type. Because if you have Warren Beatty and Dustin Hoffman, you expect those roles to be reversed. So I do think maybe we try to keep that because that seems-
1: be like, oh, I i think Warren does a great job in that role. Yeah, their, ener- their energies definitely are different, but I just mean in terms of motivation. I think it can be as simple as like Dustin's ready to sell out at a heartbeat and Warren wants yeah. to create an um, actual art. Great. I think right? that's fun. And then they both end up kind of doing a quarter of each and feeling satisfied. Because yes. <laughs> so, I think that scene kind of does that, where it's like, even though he didn't write Simon and Garfunkel song, he's still trying to play something somewhat more contemporary something more in his field and not Mm -hmm. necessarily just be a crowd pleaser whereas dustin comes in and goes oh the crowd's not happy let me be a crowd pleaser so i think that could be more blown out throughout the movie so yeah yeah warren can be the one with the notebook
0: agreed and i think then that also helps it make more sense why dustin hoffman would get drafted by the cia yes and Warren Beatty would get drafted by this local yes. vigilante group. Yes. So I think that's the attitude. Um. I really liked the guy who played the CIA agent.
1: Charles Grodin, yeah.
0: That's it. He's been in other stuff. I thought he He's was great. maybe
1: the best He's always actor great. in the movie. He's never been He was so anything.
0: funny. So He's I would so want good. him... I would want him to keep doing that, but I think the plot with the CIA needs to be way clearer.
1: Yep, that's check out for me. Cuz there was
0: never me. never yep. a point. I'm even fairly like geopolitically aware, yes. but first of all, Ishtar's not a real country. Right. And second of all, it like I understand that part of what they were getting at was like the complication of like the CIA's role and mm. like the the heavy-handedness and the um just like what a clusterfuck the cia yes. is in foreign countries like i understand that's like part of the commentary they were mm-hmm. making but from a narrative standpoint it was confusing and that yeah. you can still maybe have that point of like mm-hmm. charles groda walking dustin hoffman through so here's what the cia has been up to there's like a big cork board with strings and stuff and he's explaining how everything works and then dustin hoffman you're says something to the effect of like it's yeah, the music I don't re-
1: industry you're telling me yeah. the cia <laughs> is show business <laughs>
0: yeah, this sounds just like trying to get an agent. And, yeah, exactly. and Charles Gordon's like, yes, okay, fine. It's just like trying to get an agent. Trying to get this terrorist is just like trying to get an agent. Yeah. So like I say, we take out almost all of the specifics yes. about the, I'm
1: about telling, the Yeah, It's whatever the opposite of a dog whistle is for me, where it's just like, I, I'm not hearing this. I, just, or I don't know. I guess it's, yeah. I'm not a dog, so I don't hear it. Just like whenever yeah. that stuff's going on, I'm just like, I'm looking at the screen, Yeah, <laughs> but I'm just looking past it and through it. I'm not necessarily thinking of anything else i'm just like this yeah. part of the movie is blank for me i can't yeah. connect to that and in a movie but that God is a rules. comedy
0: and not like explicitly about geopolitical relationships no. there's no reason strange. to help
1: and that's why i'm saying let's like maybe really try to make it as clear as, of a mapping as possible almost like a comedic version of wag the dog where it's like yeah uh, this all the cia espionage is, is the same bullshit as hollywood or as uh, uh you yeah know, the comedy scene or whatever. It's it's still all I'm not saying it needs to be like a full-on sketch where it's like the mapping is done in beats but just like I think that is enough for me to not lose focus is when I go oh that's the game I'm supposed to be recognizing. Yeah. is that aspect.
0: Yeah. And so I think while Dustin Hoffman is sort of similar to the existing movie while Dustin Hoffman is um dealing with the cia then i think we need to see warren Beatty's character really like explore ishtar so instead of falls
1: in love with the city yeah
0: yeah he falls in love with the city more because right now him like quote unquote falling in love with the city is just i don't even remember the girl's name but when the girl tells him like the capital dome of ishtar is made of solid gold but most people in Ishtar have never seen a refrigerator. And then he repeats that fact to Dustin Hoffman later, which is very funny that he just parrots it back, but we never see him like fall in love with the city outside of that. And I think, you know, in falling in love with the city, then he has to like really understand the importance of not selling out for the music. And so I think that's like when he sort of similar to the way that Dustin Hoffman looks at the CIA's complicated plot is like, that's just like the music industry, man. Then Mm. I think, he goes talk to talk to this group of like like guerrilla insurgents and they're mm. like we like we purposely didn't take american military aid because we didn't want to be beholden to you and your exactly. geopolitical aims like yep. we like you know we want to create our own country that abides by our own rules and not the ones that like a giant like american industry like military industrial complex is forcing on us and he goes oh my god it's just like my singer songwriter <laughs> career and they're like well this is like a little more no, important no, dudes, he's I like totally no no, no it it's never I been totally clear to me it's it. all making sense yeah and they're like well yeah. people's lives are at stake and my career's at stake career's like at stake. like my soul's at stake i can't yeah. sell out to big music
1: Yeah, when I say I want them to have separate philosophies, they're still both dummies and they're still both selfish. It's just a different motivation that shows that. Yeah, for sure. Which also reminds me, not reminds me, I just came up with that. I think it'd be funny if in their their concert at the end, they sung our way. (laughs) <laughs> Instead of my way <laughs> We did it our way Our way You can still have yeah. Being Honest is Dangerous Or whatever that Be the actual closing But like somewhere in there They still throw yeah. a standard Crowd pleaser in there yeah, but it specifically is about how they did it their way but you're covering a song that is about like
0: I think also just as like a little piece of candy at the end, mm-hmm. it would be great to get a Bruce Springsteen cameo. Oh,
1: of course.
0: Just a little bit at the end where he's listening to the album and either like you could do the the switch of like Boy, I gotta get these guys to talk to my yeah, agent, yeah, yeah. um, or just him being like that
1: was terrible. Throws it in a trash can. That's yeah. A... No, here's what he. Nope, I got it. This is how we're ending the movie. Okay, okay. <laughs> so they did it their well, way. The, they... the
0: two heroes have to come. Yeah, 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 But yeah, yeah.
1: then, but then we see the concert. This is heroes. Yes, we see the concert. We just pan out because it does. It ends with like the uh, the poster. Uh huh. Instead, it's, instead it's an album. We pan out and it's Bruce Springsteen looking at it, and he, he we're really baiting that he's gonna like it. He doesn't. He throws it away. <laughs> He's looking no. at the poster. He rips the poster uh, no, up at, a at the album. Away. An album. An album. He's
0: looking at the album. Okay, throws it I away. I mean,
1: poster probably makes more sense for what I'm setting up. But he throws it away, and it's caught by the wind, <laughs> and it's a mirroring <laughs> of the prophecy. We cut to three thousand forty-five years in the future. <laughs> <laughs> the prophecy starts all over again. That's how Great. I propose we end Ishtar.
0: And then it's two aliens with like. Like three eyes and tentacles and weird yeah. alien instruments. Yeah. Yep. And just through context clues, you can tell that they're also bad musicians.
1: Exactly. That's my. Yep. I'm happy with that. Yep. It's a perfect <laughs> fix. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. This movie, I don't really have a real big fix. It's just a bunch of small little ones. One yeah. that I clearly is not the path we're going down to down, and also generally kind of breaks our rules. But one thought mm-hmm. I could ha- I have had that made me less uncomfortable with the. Orientalism of it all would be uh-huh. to have them be of, they're Americans, but they're of Middle Eastern des- uh, descent. Uh, yeah. Obviously, we're not going to make this in 1987, but let's, you know, in my own fantasy. Yeah.
0: I mean, this would also involve recasting, but let's temporarily break our, or, I mean, yeah.
1: This is not the route we're going, but this is my one. Yeah. If I could. St- Get, solve the, that get issue the two guys
0: me. from yesterday and Blinded by the Light.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's the. Uh, I mean, Remake City is our Patreon exclusive podcast uh, that we'll do down the road where we don't <laughs> where fix the just, just recast movies, yeah. and That's yeah. but the, uh, the idea of. of yeah, I think that yesterday kind of influenced that decision where it's like I got to go to those places to find that connection to it yeah. and then mixing it in, yes, with uh, Blinded by the Light where it's about connecting to your roots. Again, that's a completely different movie but that was, I'm just trying to paint the difference between one big fix that solves the movie versus this movie we both kind of like and so we're coming up with little fixes to strengthen what is already there. So I'm happy to go with that route because again, I, I, I like this movie whereas some other movies we've covered needed one big solution.
0: Yes. This one I felt was, was like way closer than people give it credit for. And Absolutely. in the I don't remember it's on the Wikipedia or the other thing that I read. It sort of has like not in the same way that other movies have had like sort of a resurgence and people grew to like love them. Right. Um you know it's not it's like not a, death a cult. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But like people like Quentin Tarantino and Lena mm-hmm. Dunham and yeah. like those are the two directors I remember but there were others who were like no, Ishtar was like an influence on yeah, me. And you know like that's why I started with the stuff that I loved about it cuz it mm-hmm. Like, I think fundamentally this movie is way better than any of the reviews oh, gave it credit for.
1: Absolutely.
0: I think, I think one of the big things about Ishtar is just that the budget was so huge and kept, mm. like, growing. Because they shot it in Morocco, and they shot all the stuff in Morocco first. And then when the stuff in Morocco wasn't really working, then they added more pages to the New York scenes, uh. and it, like... I see. And then, like, due to weather and stuff, and apparently Elaine May is also a little bit of, like, a Kubrick, and she will do – she shot on film. It was 1987, mm-hmm. and they, she also did, like, a thousand takes. Apparently, the takes – the just the shot where Dustin Hoffman is on the ground and the, the vultures land next yeah. to him, She's apparently did that over 50 times. <laughs> cool. And so, like, I think that was part of the lore <laughs> of Ishtar.
1: Like, yes. it's
0: – it's a fine movie, yeah. but if you make it, like, a very expensive yeah. movie that turns out, like, fine... And then, um, then you know,
1: to, to SJW a little bit here, but it is, like, we don't forgive female directors nearly as much as we do male directors. Absolutely. And so that's... I don't know if, like, the common guy on the street even knows who writes and directs this movie, so I don't know if it's influencing everybody. But in terms of the machinery not backing it... Uh, yeah. That could be a could be a factor. Again, I wasn't born for another three years, so I don't know what was going on yeah. at the time. But yeah,
0: I mean, it's getting Elaine Mage to direct a movie. It's like getting Gilda Radner to direct a movie. Sure. Like she's like one of the all-time greats. Yeah. This is like when they started shooting in Morocco. The Moroccan military was fighting guerrillas at the time as well, and oh, there were boy. rumors that there were rumors that Palestinian terrorists might try to kidnap Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> and some locations had to be checked for landmines before they could start shooting. Oof.
1: Yeah. You know, I know I said this during the Sonic episode, uh, and I'm just we're, we're all on the same page, but we're just screaming into the void, but you don't get uh-huh. stories like that with CGI green screen. No, man. <laughs> we got to you got to stop it. Uh, here's a new new rules. <laughs> Movies yeah. can only do one scene in green screen that's the max from now on that's the yeah, new rule
0: i agree you don't have
1: to do the one i just the most uh, i just do.
0: rewatched all of the red letter media blanket reviews of star wars uh-huh. and the star wars prequels and yeah. the way they like point out all of the ways that those movies were failed by green yeah. screen is like shocking
1: now i will give george a pass there because he was kind of the canary in the coal mine with that even though he sure <laughs> the canary died and we kept going into the mine and doubled down yeah. on it but it's like he was figuring that shit out you know yeah We it's not the first green screen ever but he was like what if a, movie, a whole movie was this uh yeah and so i will uh, at least phantom menace a pass on that uh mm-hmm. he's an explorer it's and it's also the like it's
0: the, the other thing is that like if you write a competent script and shoot it all on green screen then yeah
1: it won't hurt as yeah.
0: much um there's another there's another little production thing that I want to point out so one thing that I think also would have helped this movie Elaine May feuded often with the cast and crew on set, she and her cinematographer frequently differed over camera placements since she was looking for the ideal comedic effect while uh, the cinematographer, who had little experience making comedies, shot the most ideal competition. Uh, And Warren Beatty, who was the executive producer, often took the cinematographer's side. Um, And mm. I will say that there were a lot of times in the movie that I think humor could have been emphasized by shooting something differently. When I was producing sketch videos for another comedy group we were working with Mm -hmm. this like probably the most talented camera person I've ever met in my life who Mm -hmm. just fundamentally wasn't a comedian and so we came up with all of these beautiful sketches that were not funny (laughs) Um, and I think like visually the film could have been aided by differences in cinematography that's just a little note that doesn't make like a fundamental change to everything
1: I'm just coming from a philosophical standpoint with this not this isn't a solution or an answer because it's all going to come down to yeah do it with the right balance and it'll be perfect but there's something to be said about something looking good making the comedy pop more then oh for sure it's like going back to lonely island and in, in a positive way unlike what we were talking about earlier it's like the thing that works about that stuff is the songs are actually fun to listen to as well as funny yes or, or exactly. sloppy boys or whatever like uh, whereas these songs are not <laughs> I, again not speaking for myself i would love to listen to these i think they're great songs but i can understand why some people would just immediately be turned off by this so in the same sure. of, of a visual it's like an Adam Sandler like Douglas Dugan movie.
0: I would say that like the best example of like beautiful cinematography mm-hmm. coexisting with comedy is like yeah. any of Edgar Wright's movies.
1: Yeah, there you go. I think like yeah, he's like sort of the perfect example. Have to be juxtaposition. It can just be both.
0: Yeah. What I would say is that the cinematography in this movie didn't necessarily serve right, the jokes right, or the story sure. a
1: lot of the time. Yeah. Um, it's more just. Can you believe these guys are here? And look at yeah. this shot of here, and it's like, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Um,
0: uh, any other? So I feel like we fixed this movie pretty fast. Um, oh, are there yeah. any like dream scenes you'd like to add? Dr- I'm sorry. Are there any scenes that you'd like to add to the movie? I would like to see a scene where these, where Rogers and Clark, get in sort of a dueling pianos situation with mm. like, like native music of Ishtar. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, and we could even meet their Ishtarian counterparts, and then they both go on stage and do their thing, and they walk off, and they're like, those guys are terrible, but they're doing literally the same song, it's just one of them doing is doing like the Middle East version of the song. Yeah,
1: well, if that's the case, my instinct is, we gotta have those guys swap places, not in a comedy way, but like, Rogers and Clark are like, we've never heard that before, we love it so let's incorporate sure. that and then the other yeah. guys are like we've never heard that before and they still it's the uh mcfoley has a thing about when he wrestled in japan he made his shirt into into kanji to sell to the japanese people and they were disappointed because they wanted english they wanted, shirts and then the guys it. in america want the japanese shirts yeah and it's this you know not quite grass is greener but it's just this interest in the other sure
0: okay i like that i think either way i want to see some because if these guys are like, we're musicians, we love music, then they're also gonna seek out music elsewhere, if only to steal for their own, not steal, but like,
1: well, you right. um, but also, can we have a snake charming scene or no? <laughs>
0: Boy, great Keeping question. Keeping in mind it's
1: 1987. Keeping in mind. It's Keeping in mind it's
0: 1987. Then yeah. yeah, I think we can absolutely get a snake charming scene. I think but, the I think the yeah. I think the maybe like quote unquote woke way to get yeah. a snake charming scene is there is like a tourist trap area. Sure. And there is somebody who's okay, like, so, hey, dumb Americans want to so, yes. see people charm a snake. It's Fine, a it.
1: working them, and so he does it. And yeah. And Dustin Hoffman goes, eh, that guy's not so good. Watch this. <laughs> And he plays something else that gets the snake to react in a different way.
0: And then I think the snake just immediately bites him on the face. I don't know about
1: immediately. I think we built to it. I think it's like the first time he does it, it's like, oh, he's moving in this way. And the second time he does Uh it, he's, this is far too fesh, but you know, he's, he's wearing sunglasses and (laughs) somehow the snake is doing the walk like an Egyptian. And then (laughs) finally, or Warren Beatty goes, now let me try. And then boom, now we get in him
0: oh uh, yeah and it just it just eats Ian uh, Warren <laughs> B, like immediately great yeah. wonderful
1: uh, yeah because I feel like there's just honestly besides again the vague like hmm, isn't this culture crazy and then the confusing CIA revolution stuff there's kind of uh-huh. no reason for it to be in the Middle East like
0: not at all so the this Wikipedia entry is probably not interesting to anybody but me but hey, I'm gonna okay. keep reading it basically Elaine May said that she wanted to do a variant on the road to movies starring Bing Crosby and Bob Hope, but set in the Middle East. And I think, I think she succeeded at that like 50%.
1: Maybe I should have said this earlier in the podcast in terms of deciding a road to go down. But it's like, again, there are two movies and Mm -hmm. we either have, there's a couple of roads we could take eliminating one of those movies and just (laughs) making one work or the other way, or fixing both of them 75%, -hmm. (laughs) you know? And it's, that's the uh, what i respect about the movie is the ambition one of the things i respect is the ambition but it does It's just like hmm, maybe these two tastes just don't ultimately don't work together
0: yeah at i the mean time. It, yeah i'm trying to think about how to make it like we fix a lot of the problems by just starting in yes, the middle true. east
1: pacing is also very important
0: I think I think pacing solves a lot of those issues. Yeah. Maybe the way to make it essential that it's in the Middle East is to say something like like I would have to look up another musician but like so and so musician did USO tours.
1: Sure. They did sure.
0: USO tours and that's how they get got their chops and yeah. that's why they're playing sold out stadiums now.
1: Yeah. And again I think we also kind of hit it a little bit to have them try to kind of steal the instrumentation of the environment like just have Morocco inform them more and each little scene more and less about plot more about vibe because yeah the plot is just unnecessary hello
0: (laughs) sorry (laughs) i was was tilting my screen down to look at something behind it and i realized Uh... i tilted the camera right at my (laughs) boobs
1: oh Uh... um
0: Okay, so let's, uh, let's conclude this, right? All right. Uh, oh, yeah. uh, I'm in uh, my boyfriend's apartment, so my, uh-huh. my Google Home is sadly at oh, my
1: Google no. Home. So, what,
0: so we have a special guest today. Um, oh. Alexa, <laughs> what was the budget of the 1987 movie Ishtar? Here's something I found on the web. According to wikipedia.org, it was highly successful, grossing $4 million against its minuscule
1: $24,500 budget.
0: That's not right okay i'm looking at okay so what we've determined is that google home is better than alexa for these in, kinds of questions in the
1: informational the budget, way. but hold on but one thing okay. i do appreciate about alexa there was that she just told you yes it was the wrong information but she didn't say hey here's an article go read it yourself
0: sure yeah sometimes my google home will be like here's what i found on the web open it up on your google home app to and yeah. it's like i don't want to do that i want what you to read it to me okay so according to wikipedia the budget was 51 million dollars and the hmm. box office was $14.4 million. That's so it loss. lost the huge loss. It lost what? $37 million. Yikes. So with our fixes, That's first so of all, minor. our fixes, I think cut the production budget a little bit. Sure. Uh, probably not by much. Cause we're still shooting in the middle East. That's where like most of, of your course. money is going to go to. Um, we can't stop Elaine May from doing all her retakes right. and stuff. So let's say that we only cut the production budget down to, I'm going to say, $40 million. Okay. And I think our box office, (laughs) with all of our changes, making Uh it much clearer, I'm going to say $61 million.
1: Wow. So we're up 11 instead of...
0: So we're up 11 instead of down 11.
1: Wow. Well, down 30. Sure. (laughs) And then also, guys, release the soundtrack.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Release Come the soundtrack hundred percent. I'm trying to
1: buy the soundtrack right now. Let alone in 1987. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bringing a couple extra bucks that way, guys. You already know. I wrote bet the songs. they would have.
0: I bet they would have done like yeah. a Spinal Tap or a Ruddles if this What's movie Ruttles? had been successful. The Ruddles is an Eric Idle movie that is a Beatles parody.
1: Hey, that sounds fun. Is it good? Yeah, it's
0: not as good as Spinal Tap, but sure. I enjoyed it. Okay. Yeah.
1: I might have to check that out. I think, yeah. I don't know, I'm sure you know this about me. Even though we had a whole episode about the Beatles, I never brought this up. I have no real relationship to them, but I do think they're one of the funniest uh, playgrounds to play in in terms of comedy. 100%. Always happy to see anything that has to relate to the Beatles as a joke.
0: Any anytime the Beatles come up in any sort of cartoon that I watch, yeah. it's, oh, it's, great. That it's always a winner episode,
1: for me. I mean, come on. Yeah. So good. How can you lose? Uh, <laughs> and with that, the Beatles... <laughs> yeah i think, yeah, I think that's the
0: end about of our ish episode <laughs> uh, yeah uh, cool. uh
1: okay i've i've been nicole i've been fish
0: do we say that at the end the only thing that i think I we say think at the so. end is this I... okay wait keep going so i was gonna set us up to say the thing but then it's you have the other stuff to talk about
1: no i didn't i was i was ready to say it with you that's all that was
0: okay great yeah i think the only thing we say at the end of the podcast is mm. bye, bye. <laughs>